This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, good good day to you. Happy Mother's Day to all the uh, moms in the room. There we go. Shout out, holler to the moms, the uh, the the guardians, the um. The, the, there's many there's many moms. Oh, can, is this is it, is this what I'm hearing? It's making it so loud. Can we turn the monitor down some, Casey? I, I might. It scares me. It feels so booming. Is it loud here? Is it just me? It's here too. Okay, yeah. Turn that down some. It feels hot. That's what they say in the in the industry. It's hot, right? Mike's hot. Still hot. No, just keep going. Let's keep going. Anyways, um, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I know for for many of us, um, Mother's Day, Father's Day, days like this can be exciting and joyous. It can also be hard. You know, for for many, we've lost moms um, in the past. For many, we've you've wanted to be a mom. And God hasn't given you that yet. For many, um, you've lost children in the womb or shortly after even. So, so really, I know, I know that it spans um, just a wide spectrum. And one of the things we talked about as a staff um, really this week of how to honor mothers and, and it was just to, to reflect on the role that women have played as a whole in our lives. Right, that, that when God, God created Adam and Eve and it, he, he took part of Adam and created Eve and the point of that in, in putting them together is that Adam is incomplete without the woman. Right, that, that there's no like, oh, men are, are above and women are on a lower level. No, 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 without women, men are incomplete. They complete each other. They, they come together that you need both male and female to operate as God designed us, right? And that it's, it's women who have really also played such a huge and equal part as men. It's, it's no different. And so we want to honor and, and respect and value the role that women have played. You know, Stephen sent an email out of, of the, the value of uh, Timothy's mother and grandmother. That when, when Timothy is spoken of of the Bible, right, he says, man, we, we praise God for uh, Lois and your grandma. I don't remember their names, but, you know, what's that? You don't have it? Oh, I thought you had it for me. Man, you know, and so it's just like the role that, that Timothy's mom and grandma played and who he was. Right? And, and, and for so many of us, we'd be incomplete without the role of, of moms and grandmas, and, and not even just biological, but figurative and second moms, right? And this person became a mom to me or was a grandma to me, right? All of the role of women in our lives. And I just want to value you as women here and thank you for what you've done to, to complete the picture that God designed. Like, it's so much value there. Eunice, thank you, Charlie. Lois and Eunice, right? Great. Which one was the grandma? Lois. Lois. So Timothy's grandma Lois and mother Eunice um, played a huge role in in who he is. And no, I appreciate that. Thank you. So, anyways, we just we want to to thank you um, and honor you uh, not only as moms or maybe one day moms or your moms, but just as women and the role that, that you have played uh, in this church and in all of our own growth. Um, you've played a huge role, and so so thank you so much for that. We we appreciate you. Here's to here's to the moms and the ladies in our lives. Well done, well done. Thank you. All right, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 12 today. Um, We'll also jump around a little bit, we'll hit a little bit of Matthew, some Philippians, uh, maybe some of John, 
Uh, I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit. So um, in, in all aspects of life, uh, you either are or you've had in your life different leaders uh, at work, right? Um, you, you may be in the leadership role or you've got someone that you report to that is your, you know, your boss that is leading the charge, so to say. School, right? You've got leaders, teams, you've got leaders um, at home, right? You've got leaders in different roles in different ways, right? We've got leaders everywhere. And I think in different ways, we're all wired to lead in certain capacities and certain environments, other ways we're called to follow, right? We're called to, to follow the lead of some. Um, one role is not more important than another. It's just a different role, right? It's just, it's just a different aspect of, of the team, of the group, right? But we all have different leaders in our lives, and, and we've all pro- probably encountered some not-so-great leaders. You know, we've probably all encountered some leaders that when you, when you look back, you're thinking, oh, man, that was rough, you know? And it's not just in, you know, the, 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 the secular environment in the corporate office or the, the government or the, you know, or, or on a team, right? Within the church, right? There's leaders within the church. And unfortunately, we've seen just as many bad leaders within the church as any, anywhere else. And I could almost argue, right, that there's more damage done from a bad leader within the church, right? That's, that's, that's where you should find safety. You should find good leadership. And yet we've all heard stories of and probably encountered some leaders that have done more harm than good. I think of, if you haven't watched, I think it was a Netflix show on um, David Koresh, the Branch Davidians down in Waco, right? We don't say anything about Waco here. I mean, any Baylor fans? I don't think there's any Baylor. Or anything. I don't know, right? Don't worry about that, right? But David Koresh, this charismatic kind of wooing leader that, that gathered a crowd and then held tightly to his interpretation of the scripture, and in order for you to be a part, like it was his way or no way, you know. And his leadership, I mean, he was definitely a leader, but he also led into a government siege, a federal siege where four people lost their lives, right? Not a, not a great leader. But, but then there's, I think of other just leaders throughout the church that have, you know, in, in an effort to maintain their, their church or their status, right, have covered up abuse, right, financial scandal, sexual and child abuse, Right, they just tried to manage it over here so that, so that their, 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 their church or their organization didn't really take the blow. Man, it's just done deep, deep damage and wounds. When I think of, I think of some professors that I had that, that would advise, that advised women in abusive relationships to stay put. Right, those are the places where we're expecting to go and find a safe leader, someone who's going to look out for our good and not just really their interest or their, their, their uh, organization or their leadership. But in the church, man, we, we, we've seen it historically. And I think today we live in a day where if it's not already, we're almost there of a post-Christian country, meaning that, that most everybody in America has tasted or heard or know about Jesus, and man, that, we're on the backside of it. They're like, I don't want that anymore. I'm good. And a lot of the reason that I think people walk away from Jesus is not so much of Jesus, but because of the people that claim to follow Jesus that look nothing like him. 
The leaders that claim to point people to Jesus, but really they're just pointing people to themselves. And they're more concerned with their kingdom that they're building than the kingdom of Jesus. And, and I mean, I would bet some of you have experienced that. And if you haven't, you know someone probably one, you know, one step removed that has. That is struggling to plug into a church because they tried that once and they got burned. Right? We, we live in that world where and men and women have failed as leaders. And have not led us to life but to death. And I pray and I hope that this will be a place where I, I can guarantee you this, I'm not going to be perfect. None of our leaders are going to be perfect, but I hope that we'll respond well when we're not. I hope that we'll be a, a church and a people that, that helps one another build up, that encourages and strengthens one another. I hope that this is a place where if you've been wounded by, by church or leaders in the past, that this will be a place of, of healing and recovery and safety. I hope that this is a place of, of truth that, that, that holds on to, to the words of God and not to the words of someone who's preaching or speaking. Jesus, today in Mark 12, he's gone through a series of accusations or manipulative questions, right, where, where these groups of people are trying to discredit and, and discount Jesus, right? And who are the groups of people that are trying to, to discount Jesus? The church, the religious, the Sanhedrin, the scribes, the Pharisees, right? The, the people who are in the church, man, they, they don't like the ways of Jesus so much. I think if Jesus were to return, there's a lot of churches that, that would be like, we don't want that dude. He's a little, he's a little edgy. He's kind of messy. He hangs out with the people on 6th Street. We don't, we don't want him around, right? This, it's the religious that are you know, trying to trap Jesus and and question after question after question, Jesus answers well, and they can't get past him, right? And then Jesus turns the question on them, turns the question around, and it's really not so much Jesus questioning the scribes. Really, he's more concerned with the people listening to the scribes, right? He, he, there's a crowd gathered around listening to these interactions between Jesus and the leaders, and, and so his question to the scribes is not so much for the scribes, but more so for those listening into the conversation. And so Jesus, in this conversation with the scribes, is one going to correct their false teaching about who the true Messiah is, because these scribes have been teaching the people falsely, and then two, he's going to caution those listeners to be aware of selfish and prideful leaders, to be aware of people who are leading them away from truth rather than into truth. And so before we start in Mark 12, if you want to mark it with your finger or stick a pen in there or something, we're going to turn over to Matthew 22 real quick. Because Matthew records the same interaction, but gives us two more verses that Mark doesn't record, which I, I for one, think is fantastic. I, I love that you're, you're going to find a lot of similarities and overlap between the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you're not going to find identical, which is great because they're different people. 
right? If, if four of us were to all observe, you know, the same event and then went and wrote about it, you would have very similar writings, but four unique writings, right? You're not going to have word for word for word. That's called plagiarism. That gets you an F, right? So you don't get that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get a ton of overlap and similarity, but you get differences, which I think supports the validity of Scripture. I think it gives us some, some more credence. So Matthew, in chapter 22, starting in verse 41, Matthew records it starting here. He says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, the Pharisees and the scribes were the same group. The scribes were a subset of the Pharisees that were considered to be, you know, lawyers. Like they knew the, the Old Testament law. When you had a question about the Old Testament, you go to the scribes because they know their stuff, right? So they're just a group of the Pharisees. So Matthew says Pharisees, Mark says scribes, same people, just a, the scribes are a group within the Pharisees. And so you've got Matthew. So he says, while the Pharisees were gathered, Jesus asked them a question. He said, what do you, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? So let's stop right there real quick. When Jesus asks whose son is the Christ, the word Christ means anointed one, the, the promised Messiah. The word Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? So it's not first name Jesus, last name Christ, right? It's first name Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Christ could be used for anyone that they thought was the anointed Messiah, so when we say Jesus Christ, we are saying Jesus is the anointed Messiah. So when he asks the question, he's asking, generally speaking, who do you believe the, the Christ? Who, who is he the son of, right? The, the Messiah, the coming Messiah that they all believed was coming, the one that would come and rescue them. Whose son is he? Whose son is the Christ? And they answered to him, the son of David. The scribes and the Pharisees, they, they believed that the coming Messiah, the Christ, was of the human lineage of King David. They get this from 2 Samuel 7, where God promises David, hey, there will be a son that will rule on your throne forever. That his kingdom will never end. That comes from 2 Samuel 7. And so they say, well, the Christ is the son of David. That's what the Old Testament tells us. He's the human son of David, emphasis on the word human. The scribes and Pharisees, they are right. The Messiah is of the line of David. He is of the human lineage of David, but the scribes believe that the Messiah is only human. And that's where they disagree with Jesus. Because Jesus is of the lineage of David, but Jesus claims to be the son of God. Jesus claims to be divine. Human of the line of David, but also divine son of the heavenly father. And this is why they reject Jesus. They believe Jesus is claiming to be God, which he is, and they don't believe the Messiah is anything more than human. So they're teaching their church the coming Messiah is 100% human and that is it. That's it. Only human. And they get that from 2 
Samuel 7, but they don't, they don't include the other parts of the Old Testament, which is where we pick up in Mark chapter 12 now. Right, so Jesus asked them, we see it in Matthew 22, whose son is the Christ, the Messiah? They say the son of David, the human son of David. And Jesus then is recorded in Mark chapter 12, verse 35. And as Jesus is teaching in the temple, he said, so now he shifts his focus from the scribes to the crowd. He says, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David says, how can, this, how, how can the scribe say the Christ is the son of David? Because David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Jesus quotes from Psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1. So Jesus answers the scribes from the Old Testament what they already believed to be true. They believe Psalm 110 to be true. They, they sang this psalm as a church. Right, this was a passage, they were like, yes, Psalm 110 is true. So Jesus quotes from it. Verse one, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now if we have, there we go, Psalm, perfect, leave that there. Now ah, this font is funny. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 110. Whoever thinks like, oh man, font matters. Until you look at it and you go, well, this is gonna... This is going to matter. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 110, verse 1. If you have it on your phone, uh, pull up Psalm 110, verse 1. I'll give you a second to get there. Psalm right in the middle of the Bible. Again, if you have it on your phone, Psalm 110, verse 1. This is where Jesus is quoting to these scribes. From, from the parts of the Bible that they say, yes, this is true, Jesus is like, okay, let's talk about it, right? Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, the first word Lord there, in, if you're not looking at this font, is all caps, right? The second word Lord is capital L, lowercase o-r-d. When you read the Bible and you see the word Lord in all caps, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. The, 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 the Jews would not write out the word Yahweh. They thought that God is so holy, they wouldn't even write out his name. Right, and so when we see the word Lord in all caps, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh, the name for the one true God. And so David says, Yahweh says to my Lord, the second word Lord, the capital L, but lowercase o-r-d, is the Hebrew word Adonai. It means master, the, the one that I submit to, my, my Lord, the one that I revere and honor and submit my life to. So David is saying, Yahweh says to my Adonai, to, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So who is David's Lord? Who is David's Adonai? Well, the the only way a king, Yahweh, would say, sit at my right hand is if the one sitting at his right hand was of equal family 
A king says to his son, sit at my right hand, rule next to me. You are a part of my lineage. You are a part of my royalty. And so Yahweh is saying to David's Adonai, you are a part of my royal lineage. What every Jew knew and what everyone in this context knew is that this is a verse of Yahweh speaking to the Messiah. Sit at my right hand and rule until I place your enemies under your feet. So they all believe in this psalm, and yet Jesus says, well, how can David say to his future great-great-grandson that Yahweh is presently speaking to that same person? Does it make sense? David's like, how can Yahweh speak to the Messiah if the Messiah is only David's human future great-great-grandson? That David's future future great-great-grandson must also be in existence at the time of Psalm 110 and must also be of the royal line of Yahweh, the one true God. That Yahweh is saying to his son, So David says, Psalm 110, this psalm that you believe in, says that the Messiah is both the great-great-grandson of David and the Son of God. That the Messiah, the coming rescuer, is both human and God. And so the scribes and the Pharisees are teaching that he's just human. But Jesus says, no. The writing of David says otherwise that the Messiah existed at the time that David wrote this psalm and would exist hundreds of years later because the Messiah is both divine and human. Is that making sense? Now, why is this important? So what, right? Like, why, why is it important that they, they get the teaching of the true Messiah right? It's necessary for the Messiah to be both human and divine because the Messiah has to be human to live as a human in our place. God expected you and I to live up to the perfect standard, right? So we need a human representative to come and live the perfect human life that we were expected to live. We need our Messiah, our anointed one, to come and live in the way that we could not live so that he can transfer us his righteous record. Here's the deal. deal. If we stand before God and we don't hand him a perfect righteous record, then we are forever separated from God in hell. We have to hand him righteousness. But you and I all know we're far from righteous. And so how do we hand him a righteous record? We need someone who will go before us and live as one of us to do that for us. So Jesus had to be human so that he could choose to live a perfect, sinless life that we were supposed to live. Jesus had to be human because we as humans deserve the punishment for our sin. And so Jesus as our substitute suffered in our place. We needed Jesus to be human so that he could suffer for the punishment that we as humans deserve for our rebellion against God. But Jesus also had to be divine. He had to be God so that he could have the power to overcome 
the sin that you and I couldn't overcome, to overcome the death that you and I couldn't overcome, and so that by the power of him as God, he could rise from the dead and lead us into eternal life. If he's just a man, when he dies for us, he stays dead. And our hope is done. If he's just divine, then he never lives in our place. He was always at another level. He couldn't sin. Jesus as human could sin. But he lived perfectly in our lives. Jesus as divine is able to give us a righteous record and eternal life. If Jesus is not both human and divine, you and I have no hope for this to be true. Why would the life and death of someone who lived 2,000 years ago have any effect on us? Just stick it in the history book. There's a person who lived once, did some stuff, doesn't really affect me today. But if he is divine, his life, death, and resurrection that occurred 2,000 years ago still applies to us today because as God himself, he is still alive and ruling today. So it's essential that we understand the true Messiah is both human and divine. Our salvation depends on it. Our hope for eternity depends on it. These scribes were teaching that Jesus was only human, that he was only going to come to, to lead an earthly revolution. Well, again, we're on the outside looking in of that. We have no hope today if he's only human. But praise be to God that Jesus, both human and divine, lived, died, and rose in order to give us a new relationship with God himself. So Jesus corrects this false teaching. It's important for us to understand truth. It's important for us to, to understand the full picture. If we just read 2 Samuel 7, yeah, Jesus is just human. We have to read the whole context of the scripture. It's important for our leaders to know truth. But the problem for the scribes today is not that they got it wrong. The, the problem for the scribes is that they were unwilling to admit that they got it wrong and to grow and change. Every human leader is going to get something wrong. We're all going to mess up. Every preacher is going to get up at some point and teach something, and then, I don't know, a year or two later go, can we please erase that from the internet? Can we please not ever let that see the light of day again? Right? That's going to happen. What, what their problem is, is not that they made a mistake. It's that they dug their heels in with their mistake and refused to admit that they got it wrong and grow and be transformed. It's the pride of these leaders that is what is leading people ultimately to harm. Jesus knows they're going to make mistakes, but he's expecting that they'll respond well when they make those mistakes. They refuse to humble themselves. And so Jesus is looking at these leaders and he's saying, beware of these selfish and prideful leaders because they will lead you to destruction, which is where he goes next. 
He goes next in verse 38 through 40. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive their greater condemnation. Jesus, he says, first he corrects their false teaching And he says, beware of these leaders. And then he gives some examples of what to look for in a false leader. He gives some examples of what to look for in a a selfish leader. Now, I want to be careful to just say, like, if you read these, like, just because you see someone and they're like, oh my gosh, this person did that once, right? This person did that once, right? Jesus sees a a pattern, a, a character flaw, Right, so we can't look at something and go, oh my gosh, this leader likes to wear long robes, fancy clothes, whatever, right? They're selfish. No, not necessarily, right? Like, that's all we can be subjective. We're looking at the heart of someone. We're looking at a pattern of someone, right? Jesus is identifying a pattern, a lifestyle. He's just telling us to beware of, be cautious about Right, so the first thing we see is that the, the scribes were, were they, they, they wanted to be seen. Look at me. Hey, look here. See me, see me, see me. Right, rather than seeing others, they wanted others to see them. Right, they were concerned with their image, with their reputation, with their optics. Right, we, we have this culture that I think is toxic of celebrity pastors. Right? And for some of them, right, they, like, they didn't ask for it. It just kind of happened to them. Right? So just because someone is a well-known, famous, like, celebrity pastor does not mean they fall in this category. Please hear me on that. Some people, they didn't go looking for it. They weren't trying to get the spotlight on it. It just came to them. Right? Jesus was famous. Jesus was well-known. John the Baptist, man, he had people flocking from all over the place to him. So please hear me say that. Do not misquote me. Be like, oh, well, if they have a big church, so they're well-known, then they're selfish. No, no. You're looking at someone who is intentionally seeking the limelight, who is overly concerned with their appearance, right? It says that they liked to wear long robes. Did they have to wear a long robe? No. Was it wrong to wear a long robe? No. But they're going around when it's like, why do they have a long robe at this time? Oh, they want to be seen. They want to be noticed. They want people to know that they are holy and spiritual leaders. And so you're just looking for people that have a a heart connection to this appearance. Look at me. Make sure everybody sees me. Make sure everybody hears me. And again, it's, it's hard to know for certain, right? So I would caution you, right? Jesus says, don't judge. Right? We're, we're, we're trying to in, engage and, and understand people's hearts. Where's their heart in this? It says that they like to go to the marketplace, you know, to, to shake hands and kiss babies. Right? Like they're, they're just trying to be seen by people. Are, are these leaders that we're following, are they people that want to see others? Do they ask questions about others? Do they get to know others? Or are they really there so that you'll ask them questions, so that you'll see them? Right, so the, the first thing that Jesus points out about these scribes is they are concerned with people looking at them. They're concerned with the image that they're portraying. Their heart is connected there. The second thing that we see, right, is that Jesus says 
verse 39, they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. They have a me first mentality. Right, the, the, the table is laid out and they're the first ones to get the best seats. Right, like they, they come up to a table and they're there with their group, right, and they don't want to sit on the corner. You got to get in the middle. You got to get in the middle so that you can be in any conversation at any point, right? Because if you're over there, well, there could be some great conversation happening over there and then you're left out. And so they're like working their way into the middle, right? It's a buffet. Boom, let's go, let's get first. Hot food, make sure I get my, first, my full pick. Right, they're, 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 they're positioning and lobbying for the best seats because they're thinking of themselves first. They, they've risen to this entitled rank. They, they didn't have cars back then, but if they did, they'd be like, I got a shotgun. Like, give me the, get the leg room, the air conditioner, right? Like, they're just, you know. Like, and again, that's not bad, that's not wrong. It's not bad to sit in the middle of the table. Like, don't go out to eat with friends and be like, no, 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 you sit in the middle, no, 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 you sit in the middle, no, 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 you sit in the middle, right? Someone just sit in the middle at some point. But it's that, it's that question of, right, like, do, do we notice in leaders that they're continually seeking to be in the best spot? Right, they're continually seeking to have the best seat. They're continually seeking to, to be first, to get first pick, first choice. Are they willing to let others go first? Are they willing to let everybody else go through the buffet line and they may end up with nothing? Right, so we're watching for these leaders that have a, a me first heart. Because if they've got a me first heart, that means that they're not thinking of you first. Or they're not thinking of God's glory first or the, the good of those around them. They're thinking of themselves first. And so Jesus is saying, Be, just beware. Beware of these leaders right, that, are, that are selfishly bent. Look at me. See me. Yeah, I'll sign your Bible. I swear, if I ever do that, you have every right to just punch me in the face right then and there. Just be like, no, sir. Give me the best spot. Me first, me first. Take care of me first. The last thing Jesus says, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They're interested in their gain above the gain of others. His common practice that the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees would go visit the homes of, of widows and they would perform these elaborate prayers, right? Meant to build, to, to, meant to build a, a, a trust and a vulnerability and then they would advise the widows on how they should handle their estate and it just so happened that these widows should give a lot of their estate to the church, to the temple. Because that's what would honor God. And then it just so happened that these fribes, fri Pharisees and scribes, fribes, that works. Um, <laughs> these Pharisees and scribes would benefit from the elaborate gifts that these widows were giving to the temple. They, they were thinking of their gain first. They were looking at financial situations and thinking, okay, how can I get mine first? How can I make sure that this is coming to me first? They're, they're literally devouring 
widows' estates and livelihoods under the pretense and guise of this is honoring to God. Now again, let me caution you to not see a leader, not see someone successful, not see, man, some leader rolls in in a new car. Oh my gosh, they're devouring widows' houses. No, they bought a car. You know, like, let's not jump to conclusions and see a leader in a religious, you know, section or a a job or or, or wherever and be like, oh my gosh, they're selfish, obviously. Clearly, because they have more than me. Right, that's that's absurd. Like, we're, we're now playing God and judging people's hearts, looking down on them like, well, this is how you should spend your money, especially if you're of the cloth in the clergy. You should be poor. Right, like that, that's, a, that's a toxic mentality that has plagued people. And it's, it's no good for anybody. All right, we're looking for patterns of self-driven, self-motivated, me first, look at me, my gain leaders. And they're there. There's plenty of them. And Jesus is warning us as the church to be cautious with those leaders. You start to see a pattern of it. Just, just be cautious. Be careful. Our requests as leaders of the church help us to not be these people. Right? Like I'm, 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 I'm in a good place right now. Like pure motivation. I don't want to be this person. But I also know the day is going to come when I probably do want to be this person. Let's be honest. And so I'm just asking for your help to, even selfishly, don't let me be this person. Like, walk with me, and if you see me getting out of line, gently and lovingly, bring me back. Because I'm going to make mistakes, too. But I believe that, that we are meant as one family and one body to grow together. So just as it's my job to, to help one another grow towards Christ, it's your job to help me. Right? And Charlie, and Mike, and our elders, Adam, and Brandon, and Steve, right? it's, help us not be these people. Let's, let's do that together, if we can. So what kind of leader are we looking to follow? And we can just look on the other side of the page, right? We're looking for a leader that holds tightly to truth, that is willing to submit to the truth, even when it means they have to stand up and say, I was wrong. That's a great leader to follow. Someone who can say, I was wrong. Fantastic leader to follow. In a job, in a school, on a team, in a home, in a church. We want to look for someone that cares more about truth than being right. We want to look for someone that, that has no interest in, hey, look at me. Let me make sure I get in the spotlight. Let me make sure that my name is attached to this. I'm going to look for someone who's, who's willing to take the back seat. Look for a leader who's willing to be a servant. Look for a, a leader who's willing to eat last. I think that's a book title, actually. Completely secular business book title, right? So this, this transcends just the church. But it certainly should be the case in the church. I'm going to look for a leader that seeks the gain of others over the gain of themselves. That doesn't mean that they have to neglect themselves or their family, but they're interested in, they're looking outward first rather than inward. The greatest leader we see of this is Jesus. Now, you, y'all saw that coming. 
the greatest leader who's, who's modeled this is the person of Jesus, who in John chapter 12 said that he only speaks what he hears from the Father. He doesn't say anything unless it's truth from the Father. Then in Isaiah 53, it says that there was nothing attractive about his appearance. Desirable, right? He wasn't concerned with having the nicest robes or right, having the cleanest cut. or like, He wasn't concerned with this world and the material possessions of this world. Jesus, who in Philippians 2 says that he willingly laid down his rights as king of heaven to come and do what? Serve us in the dirt. John 13, where he literally bent down to wash the crap off of people's feet. Literally. He willingly took that position as a servant. Who gave himself up for our gain. He said, no one takes my life, but I lay my life down. He gave himself up in love so that we could be the recipients. We could benefit. Jesus is the greatest leader. In your leadership, which I believe you all have, an avenue of leadership in some place or another, and next month it might be different, or next year it might look different, but whether you're a leader now or you're a leader in the future, in your leadership, this is the leadership you want to follow. This is the model you want to follow. And when we are in the time of following others, these are the people we want to follow. These are the women we want to follow, the men that we want to follow. Hold tightly to truth, even if they have to admit wrong. They're not looking to be second. They're looking to be last. Certainly not looking to be first. They're not interested in their gain over yours. That's the kind of leader that Jesus is, invites us to be, and encourages us to follow. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.